This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Rap and politics. The message is more than the music. Hip-hop heavyweights descend on Detroit for the National Hip-Hop Summit. This morning we talked to the... In 2003... Russell Simmons brought the National Hip-Hop Summit to Detroit. Its goal? Use hip-hop to empower young black fans and mobilize them at the ballot box. And Simmons chose Detroit for one particular reason. The one great reason to come to Detroit is because Mayor Kilpatrick does point to what young people can do when they're involved in the process. I think of Jay-Z and Puffy and, and some of the artists, and I think that their voices are very, very powerful, and they're drummed into young people's heads all over the world. And Mayor Kilpatrick is the first example of what they can elect. Hip-hop was the theme music to my uh, maturation process. I mean, from Run DMC to Curtis Blow to the Fat Boys to Houdini, you know, it was uh, the way that I dressed, the way that I moved. Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick was a huge hip-hop fan. So when Russell Simmons came calling, he didn't hesitate. And he came in and he started talking to me about... Um, getting young people in Detroit registered to vote. And he had already had Eminem on board and Nas. And I said, oh, we gotta do it. And we just started marketing it and pumping it up. And the Hip Hop Summit is in Detroit. And it wasn't my Hip Hop Summit, it was our Hip Hop Summit. On opening night, more than 13,000 fans assembled at Kobo Arena for a star-studded kickoff. We live hip hop every day. Hip-hop is a lifestyle, it's our culture, and it's something that we do on a daily basis. We dress hip-hop, we talk hip-hop, we think hip-hop, we live hip-hop. This is just the way that it is. And Nas took the mic, Dougie Fresh, uh, uh, Russell, Eminem. I spoke and riled up the crowd. People were going crazy, and it was good, and, and, and it was good energy. After Kwame spoke, it was Russell Simmons' turn. And then he got the mic, and he said, oh, man, it's so great to be in Detroit. You know, and I'm just going to do say this right now. This is America's hip-hop. Man, they went crazy. America's hip-hop mayor. One, two, three, now! Last episode... We told you about Kwame Kilpatrick's rise to become Detroit's youngest mayor. Today on the show, as the hip-hop mayor takes office, he starts to stumble. I'm John White. Welcome to Crime Town. It's time for all of us to rise up and begin our future right here, right now. God bless you and thank you. Anybody who starts off with a story about how the Bible fell open, my thing is, this is fake. It's a lonely job. You know, all you all see is the receptions and people smiling and all of that. So as a mother, I was concerned. And I was like, oh my God, I actually want this job. I don't know how to be mayor. I was kind of panicking inside. Let's call it from a federal prison. 
Lion King sworn in today as the city's 60th mayor. It's a great day. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, Kwame will be a great mayor, and uh, I'm very excited about the prospects for the city. It's early 2002, and hopes are high as Detroit's newly elected mayor, Kwame Kilpatrick, takes office. The sun is shining. It's a new day. It's morning in Detroit, and you know, we all have a lot at stake in the success of Kwame Kilpatrick. We were trying to put together our transition team of how the administration would run. This is Christine Beatty, Kwame's campaign manager from the last episode. Now she was Kwame's chief of staff. And I remember him getting a call from Mayor Archer about, oh, by the way, we might have a deficit this year. The current mayor and the mayor-elect met privately for an hour and a half. Along with the wisdom of two terms, Mayor Archer passed along 39 reports from city departments. Tomorrow, he and the mayor-elect will go over the budget and the deficit. And I remember he first called the deficit was $8 million. And I remember Kwame going back into the room and talking to the finance team. Well, listen, this is potentially what we have. I remember Mayor Archer calling him back again, saying it's not $8 million. It was, I think, $28 million. And we were like, what? Preparing this document has been a very difficult task. So Kwame made some tough choices and delivered a balanced budget to the city council. Detroit is a city with tremendous needs, but our financial resources at this time and our history are very limited. And with that, Mayor Kwame Kilpatrick spelled out for council members the good, the bad, and the ugly of his balanced budget. There will be no pay raises for city employees. 18 employees will be laid off. Two departments will be eliminated. It is a very lean budget. And balancing the budget wasn't Kwame's only challenge. I would say there was an initial prejudice going into it because he was so young. He was the youngest mayor we'd ever had, right? This is Kwame's cousin, Tunisia Turner. And so then it became part of public opinion. I don't, I don't know if I can trust him because he's so young, he's so inexperienced, he's so immature. He was unabashed and unapologetic. I think the earring is a really good example. The earring. Kwame wore a diamond in his left ear. In political circles in town, I'm thinking your left ear has probably gotten, uh, hasn't, no left ear has gotten this much attention since Vincent Van Gogh. But the earring, now we've seen it more often, uh, yeah. although you've taken it off now for the program. Yeah. I suppose people might be reading that, that you want to be a different kind of person to different people at different times. And maybe, I mean, what do you want people to know about the person you are? That is something that people draw that from the earring. That's well, interesting. Uh, I don't wear it on television shows because it flashes in the face of the announcer, and, and that, they told me not thing. to do that, but I'll stick it right back in here. Uh, you know, it's back, uh, but it won't define Kwame Kilpatrick. Never has and it never will. Who told you to take it out? 
it was editorials. He needs to take out the earring, and, and the earrings are distraction. And I saw it too. I mean, I'll be doing a speech about the diversification of the economy of the city of Detroit and talking about moving our city into the 21st century. And at the end of that speech, I come out of the off the stage and they say, "What about the earring?" It was a complete distraction for the first couple of years I was in office. You know, I I was uh, talking to an older guy, and I said, you know, give me some advice. What can I change? What can I do? What is the problem? And he said, the problem is that you were born. <laughs> and I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. He said, that's the problem. So you can't change anything. Uh, I just dressed how I dressed in the job. It wasn't that I was trying to be flashy. I was being me. It wasn't just the earring. Kwame's bold sense of style, denim suits, alligator shoes, Borsellino fedoras, attracted a lot of attention as well. And Santa, as always, a big welcome from Detroit, but it wouldn't be official without this special visit, visitor, the Honorable Mayor of the City of Detroit, Kwame Kilpatrick. Mr. Mayor, good to see you. And I remember he was in a Thanksgiving parade. Again, Kwame's cousin, Tunisia Turner. And I remember he was in a parade and he wore a Pelly Pelly leather jacket. And I was thinking, no, don't do it. Don't wear the Pelly Pelly, right? Pelly Pelly is a Detroit clothing brand popular with hip-hop artists. Its signature item, a big black quilted leather jacket with a logo embroidered all over it. So he's there with Santa and his Pelly Pelly, and I'm, you know, which typically probably wouldn't be a big deal. But because of public sentiment, I knew that they were going to rag on him for having the Pelly Pelly jacket on. And I think Pelly Pelly is local. So he was always about supporting local business. And, but nobody would have said that. My boys have a very special thing. One, two, three. Welcome to Detroit, Santa. Oh, this young guy who's immature has a Pelly Pelly jacket on. Oh, he's a thug. And that became popular sentiment. And it was around this time that Kwame brought the Hip Hop Summit to Detroit. It was an event Russell Simmons put on here in Detroit where he brought some of the top leading uh, hip-hop artists around the country. Kwame's friend and aide to Dan Milton was at the summit. So, you know, he's introducing all the folks and then he introduces Mayor Kilpatrick and just, you know, throws out the statement, it's the hip-hop mayor. Do you remember how the crowd reacted when he said that? They were all Detroiters, so it was like, yeah, yeah, that's our hip-hop mayor. Yeah, he is like us. You know, we hip-hop, he hip-hop. You know, I got an earring on my ear, he has an earring. You know, I like the way he dressed. As soon as I walked off the stage, the press in Detroit, they gathered around me, you know. What do you think about him calling you America's hip-hop mayor? And I, you know, and I said, well, I think it was, it was great. You know, I grew up in that generation. I'm a fan of hip-hop and all its forms, so, I mean, it was, it was cool to me. The next day, editorials were calling for me to denounce the title. They had a, a cartoon in the paper of me with dreads and gold teeth and, and gold chains. I mean, it went on for like two or three weeks. It, it, I, at first, I thought it was a little stupid. I never thought it would be something that would continue, and I certainly never thought it would be something that would stick to me. 
Uh, obviously, there's a huge and powerful hip-hop presence in Detroit. It's been argued that we've elected the nation's first hip-hop mayor, Kwame Kilpatrick, but it's also a troubled city and the most segregated big city in America. Russell Later that week, a local news anchor interviewed Russell Simmons about the summit. I know you must wake up in the morning ready to hear the criticisms from people who say that uh, in keeping it real, as uh, it, to put it in the rap parlance, in keeping it real and talking about what's going on in the street, you're also helping it keep it that way, that we've glamorized somehow uh, the, a really troubled dark side of life. Uh, I don't keep MTV on in my house very much because I have three daughters, and I really don't like uh, the way that women are depicted, especially well, in, in rap videos. That. And that's a peril for you as you try to move into politics. The Hip Hop Summit's dedicated to fighting a good war on poverty and ignorance, which I believe is America's first war. You know, the connotation from the community was like, he's one of us. Again, Kwame's friend and aide, to Dan Milton. But from the business world and from other people, it was, Hip-hop was a negative thing. You know, they saw hip-hop as being gangster rap, you know, killing and hoes and money and drugs and alcohol. I think that's when it started becoming a reputation of him being in all these clubs and hanging out late at night because that fueled the fire of, you know, somebody saying, yeah, I saw him in the club. I mean, I would teach a class at Wayne County Community College on the east side. This is Sheila Cockrell. She was on the Detroit City Council, but also taught politics at a local community college. And they have these young black people just calling him Kwame, and I'm like, hold on. We respect the titles that people have, the positions people have, and they represent all of us. It is Mayor Kilpatrick in this class. I got So this young woman's thing is, well, Professor... You may say that, but let me tell you about the club down the street and who's in there at two. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. But what was the student saying? Uh, the, they, these guys were hanging out in clubs after they were supposed to be closed. I mean, literally, this was the culture of the administration. When did you first hear about the Manugian party? I heard it from one of the mayor's top security personnel. Dan Milton was with Kwame when one of his bodyguards mentioned a rumor, something that allegedly happened at the Manugian mansion, the mayor's official residence. He said, this is rumor that you had a um, party at the Manugian mansion, and you had strippers there, and and that's when he kind of, mayor looked back and was like, he just started laughing. He said, come on, what's that barbershop talk? Where is, where is that coming from? Somebody need to squash this rumor right now before, you know, it takes off. But at that point, in the city, once somebody said it gets in the barbershops and beauty salons, then that, it takes on a whole personality of its own. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. 
With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. I think he really connected with young people because he was young, right? I remember thinking, shit, I'm a year old and the mayor of Detroit. What have I been doing with my life? You know, I'm a loser. This is M.L. Elric. In the early 2000s, he was a reporter for the Detroit Free Press. His assignment covered Kwame Kilpatrick. He probably feels there's no bigger tormentor of Kwame Kilpatrick than me. But I can tell you, there's nobody who wanted him to succeed more than me. How did you become aware of the Manugian story? Yeah, I think it was just kind of in the air, and I didn't even bother with it. I mean, I was just like, this is bullshit. Elric came into the office one day and told an editor, um, there's this rumor that Kilpatrick had a big party at the Manoogian Mansion. This is Jim Schaefer, who also wrote for the Detroit Free Press. So the rumor was that Kwame Kilpatrick had some sort of bachelor party type event at the Manoogian Mansion. And that during this event, there were strippers there. And uh, somehow, Carlita Kilpatrick, Kwame's wife, came home during this and saw a dancer giving a lap dance to Kwame Kilpatrick. So Carlita runs up, and depending on which part of the rumor you've heard, uh, either takes a table leg or a pistol and, and hits her over the head with it. They pair me up with Schaefer, who is uh, an older reporter, very well respected, has uh, some ties to the police department, so he can maybe work the cop end of it while I work the political end of it. So we uh, teamed up and we knocked on doors, we made phone calls, we asked for police reports, and there was nothing. Couldn't prove it. Never found a damn thing to prove it. We spent way more time and way more resources than we ever should have investigating the Manoogian Mansion Party. But along the way, we found out so much we never would have known about Kilpatrick, how he operates, abuses in office. After we looked into it for three weeks, you know, if you spend that much time on a story, an editor's going to say, okay, you don't have the rumor story, but what do you have? So we told the editor, Kilpatrick's got a lot of uniformed police officers serving as his bodyguard 24-7. And uh, he said, well, how many do you think it is? I don't know, a couple dozen. This is a time when if you call 911, they might not show up at your house at all. And so he said, well, see how other mayors around the country handle that, whether they have similar entourages. We found out Kilpatrick had an exponential greater number of these guys doing this than any other mayor. So we did a story that said Kwame Kilpatrick has more bodyguards than any other mayor in, in, in the nation. This is where we get into image. And again, this is us not being as wise about image. Christine Beatty, Kwame's chief of staff. You already have this big, tall, 6'4", African-American man walking into a building. Oh, but now it's not just you. It's two other black guys, executive protection, you and the people that's walking in with you in trench coats and, you know, or just like you see 
elected officials when they have their protection units, but everybody is black. They just are. So it was the imagery when you got looked intimidating. Once we started publishing stories about Kilpatrick, they were almost self-generating. We did this awesome story, if I do say so myself, about his use of the city credit card. When he'd go out of town, he'd use it for expensive meals and spa visits and fancy hotels. We had our first huge mistake when he had a big issue with city credit card. He had been traveling, you know, whenever speaking, doing all, you know, kind of creating the goodwill for Detroit. Detroit is on a change, a renaissance. You know, every take people out. And so it looks like, oh, so you hanging and partying and, you know, treating and, and we didn't handle that right. So FOIA, we didn't know about FOIA. There's this act out there called Freedom of Information. And it's open to the public. And I don't think we understood how the press had a right to whatever was going on in government. We had sued to get credit card records because they wouldn't give them to us. When Elric and Schaefer got their hands on the city's credit card records, they discovered that the Kilpatrick administration had racked up $210,000 in personal charges. And that's when we realized, holy shit, it's not just like you spend money on dinners and stuff. Like what kind of stuff was on there that, that, sort of, that surprised you? I mean, the hotel room for the babysitter at the casino, that was pretty shocking. You know, the spa visits, that always, that always struck me is, is how, uh, for a guy who was kind of the hip hop, you know, gangster looking guy, he loved all the creature comforts, you know? He always wanted people to be rubbing him, you know? I mean, he just loved all the high living. And just how many expenses were on there where you're like, what the hell? Um, and the Navigator was a big thing too. Questions, questions, so many questions. Confusing documents, odd explanations, and all over a $25,000 auto lease. How has it come to this? There was a Lincoln Navigator, bright red, beautiful vehicle. Well, it was assigned to the mayor's wife, Carlita. The media found out about it, and was, there was an uproar. Police lights? Was it a one-year lease or a two-year lease? Why did it cost so much? Why did the city stamp mayor's lease on the purchase agreement? It's all mind-boggling to think that it's come this far. The city has a billion-dollar budget. It's a molecule in a drop in a bucket. But the symbolism is very powerful because at the time, he's cutting back the budget. He's cutting back city services. The mayor of Detroit announced today layoffs of nearly 400 city employees. Many employees have been literally doubling their salaries. This has become a way of life. That is unacceptable. He's cutting back police and... His wife wants a luxury SUV, so the city goes and gets one for her. But they don't just go get one for her. They do it in a very sketchy way. Any expenditure over $25,000 needs to be approved by the Detroit City Council. The price listed on the Navigator lease? $24,995. So now you get a city that's broke as a joke, spending money they don't want anybody to know they're spending in a stupid way, just so the first lady can get what she wants. And this is the mayor, once again, putting his family above our families. And the symbolism was very powerful. No reason in the world that we needed to have a red navigator for his wife. It was dumb. Again, Christine Beatty. What, what made it dumb? 
because we had other cars that could have just been there and we didn't have to order any special $25,000 vehicle lease when the city was already, you know, in financial turmoil, it looked dumb. You know, it was a dumb mistake, period. We clearly screwed up on the communication side. We had no idea that this would be this big of a story. This is an issue that I believe that we all have made mistakes. And when I say all, I mean my administration, uh, yes, and the media have made mistakes. And I think it's imperative that from this point forward, we communicate better. We were lied to repeatedly day after day after day. I take exception with that. I don't think that anybody here lied to Lie, Lying is knowingly giving misinformation. And I don't think anybody here did that, including myself. For Kwame's critics, all these scandals, the bodyguards, the credit card bills, the flashy SUV, confirmed their worst fears about how a hip-hop mayor would run the city. But according to Kwame, he never got a fair shake. It was never anything about negotiating the largest casino deal uh, in the history of this country. There was never anything about doing a riverfront that they planned 30 years in five years. Everything you see, even if you look up those articles, you'll see every single day it was something about a navigator, rims on a car, uh, a party, drinking, which I don't even drink. It's all the same type of drumbeat. In America today, you don't have to call somebody a nigger to depict them as a nigger. Something that I think that Kilpatrick still uses to this day is, you know, he just basically the sense that it was like an all-white media going after a black, the black power structure in Detroit. And I guess I wonder, if, like, did you, you know, you and Elric are both white. Yep. It seems like the newspaper is still largely white. Did you, is that something you guys talked about? Oh, yeah. But we were always very aware of that we were two white guys writing about a black guy. And that, I think made us be extra careful and extra fair. Um, he may not believe that, but we, we were definitely aware of it. There is not one story that we wrote that we had to write a correction on. Not one. It wasn't a vendetta on our part, we just thought we were doing good journalism. When does Kwame Kilpatrick ever get the benefit of the doubt? I, when, when did that ever happen? And I don't believe it ever did. Now, I gave him all kind of stuff. I tripped over my feet. I messed up. The problem I had, John, is they made that something criminal. Like, like with me, it became, oh, he's a criminal, a thug. How am I a thug about a navigator? Now, 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 I don't understand how I get to be corrupt and a criminal about these things. But it, be, it started an avalanche misuse of funds, corrupt. Thug. All of those things are being mentioned in real articles. So uh, you, you start to get all of these things and people are like, wait a minute, this guy is horrible. He's a monster. Where, when did I become a monster? So what's the backstory behind the diamond earring? You know, the diamond earring uh, in my ear was the first engagement ring that I got my wife, Carlita. And uh, I promised her when I got her that little diamond, a little half care, <laughs> that one day uh, I was going to be able to afford to get her a real diamond, a nice one. And, uh, and, and I did that. 
Uh, I got her a new diamond ring, you know, got on my knee again and gave her a real diamond. I took the old one. I took it to a, um, a jeweler and made it into an earring, and I wore it. And so for her and I, that was a very special thing. It was like I had her with me all the time. And she didn't want me to take it out because it symbolizes something that's personal and private to us. And so that message never came about. It was just take it out, take it out. It's a bad image. You're horrible. And uh, eventually I did take it out. But when I took it out, I really uh, left a real bad uh, pain in Carlita's heart. Why, why did you take it out? Politics. You know, it was uh, caring about, about more about polls and people and getting the message across. We were about to start a tough election in two, the beginning of 2005. Um, I was down at Campus Marshes uh, taking my kids to ice skating rink. We had just opened a new ice skating rink downtown in December of 2004. And we were skating. And some kind of way, one of my sons grabbed my ears when he was falling. And the, and the earring came out. And we could not find it. It was it was hundreds of people on the ice ring. And we couldn't find the ring, earring, and I just never put it back in. She wanted me to replace it, and I just didn't. And I didn't because I was about to run for office, and I did care what the press and the people thought uh, more than I cared what my wife thought. And and after the she told me uh, that, that Detroit was more important than her. And and then, of course, you know, all of the other stuff. Let's call it from a federal prison. But, I mean, this, uh, that was very, very sad for her. It was very personal to her. And it's still something today that she feels uh, was, a, was a seminal moment for us in separating us from one another. Next time on Crime Town, with re-election on the line, Kwame's troubles get even worse. The Manukian Mansion Party. You thought the investigation was over? Think again. Kwame Kilpatrick has absolutely nothing to hide about any of these allegations. Crime Town is Mark Smirling and Zach Stewart Pontier. This season is made in partnership with Gimlet Media and Spotify. This episode was produced by Samantha Lee, Soraya Shockley, Rob Zipko, and me, John White. The senior producer is Drew Nellis. Editing by Zach Stewart Pontier and Mark Smirling. Fact checking by Jennifer Blackman. This episode was mixed, sound designed, and scored by Sam Baer. Original music this season composed by Homer Steinweiss.
we recorded some original music at Rust Belt Studios in Detroit in partnership with Detroit Sound Conservancy. Special thanks to Carlton Goals and Maurice Piranahead Heard. Additional music by Kenny Kusiak, John Kusiak, John Ivins, and Edwin. Additional mixing by Bobby Lord. Our theme song is Politicians in My Eyes by Death. Our credit music this week is Cold Steel by Fat Cat. Archival research by Brennan Reese. Archival material courtesy of WXYZ and the Walter P. Ruther Library at Wayne State University. Show art and design by James Cabrera and Elise Harvin. We've got a great website with bonus content for each episode like photos, videos, and newspaper clippings, as well as a full list of credits and a transcript. This week you can see pictures of Kwame's fashion choices and the Detroit Hip Hop Summit. Check it out at crimetownshow.com. Thanks to the Detroit Free Press, Peter Batia, Mary Schrader, Mary Wallace, Max White, Randy Lundquist, Eric Hetherington at D&D Video, Devin Skillian, Melissa Sampson, the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History, the Detroit Historical Society, Brendan Roney, Kari Turner, Mike Martin, Ron Fleming, Darcy McConnell, Miles Feldsot, and everyone who shared their stories with us. Detroit's an amazing place, and we're honored to tell a small part of its story. Alex Bloomberg is the podfather. You know, for a hip-hop gangster-looking guy, he loves all the creature comforts. You know, he always wants people to be rubbing him. He just loves all the high living. Hi, welcome to Flashpoint. This has been one of the most bizarre weeks in memory, and when it comes to city government, that's saying something. But the last navigator to get this much attention was Ferdinand Magellan. He was beheaded in the Philippines, by the way. I'm not saying that this navigator is going to lead to anyone's downfall. I mean, it certainly shouldn't. This story should have been finished and done with days ago, but it's not. Why? Because getting straight answers about the red SUV has been tougher than finding a hockey score these days.